1: Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Oh, thank you, Father, for this awesome day. Thank you for blessing us in this study today, too, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're going to call this, The Bride Will Overcome. And the first revelation we're going to say is, uh, Don't put on fleshly baggage and this was a doubled vision claire pinard 61023 i had this vision twice in a couple of days it was so quick i think i missed it the first time so the lord gave it to me again i believe i am being used as a type for the corporate bride body in order to show that what the bride must avoid I saw a woman with dark hair trying to make me uh, choose a handbag to carry. Well, she must not accept anything from uh, those submitted to darkness, which that black hair represents, uh, as they will try to put their baggage of their flesh or demon spirits or idols on you, right? The handbag was a typical old lady handbag, small and box-shaped. It was a sling-over or carry-over handbag with many zips and compartments on the inside. Well, I think we have no need for useless baggage for God will be there when we get there, you know. A lot of people have to be prepared for everything, right? But that's the flesh. It was leather. Well, leather often represents the flesh. Uh, The Lord uh, sent His disciples out without a purse or a wallet. Luke 10 and 4. Carry no purse, no wallet, no shoes, and salute no man on the way. (laughs) Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore let us also, seeing we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight, And the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, you know, when you're running the race, you pack light, right? But you know, at the end of the race, you got something there to sustain you. She first tried to make me uh, take hold of a green handbag. I said, no, green represents the flesh because all flesh is as grass and it can also represent envy or jealousy. First Peter one through 24-25 says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower falleth. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. Of course, the word of the Lord in us is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he is forever, Right? Then she tried the same thing with a deep purple colored handbag, and again I said no. Well, purple represents royalty or elitism, right? And we know that that's the most corrupt people in the world, and everybody's about to find that out. Then it was a dark blue handbag, and I said no. Uh, Dark blue is the color that has had the meaning of discouragement, depression, uh, condemned or slandered, you know. Don't accept any of these demons. Amen. So that's the whole point of this. Don't accept any of these demons. Uh, I knew I didn't want one or need one of these handbags. Romans 8 and 1 says there is... Therefore, now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The vision ended. It brought to my mind these verses, which uh, are from Colossians 3, uh, 5-14. Put to death, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake, which things sake cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience, wherein you also once walked, and when you lived in these things. But now do you also put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, railing, shameful speaking out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings, and have put on the new man being that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. Oh, praise the Lord. Where there cannot be Jew, Greek, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bondman, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Praise the Lord. Christ is a a unifying factor, the most and the greatest, because it unifies us into the body of Christ. Put on, therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved, a heart of compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving each other, if any have a complaint against any. You hear of a lot of complainers out there. They're usually complaining in order to put some slander on you to bring you into their web, right? Even as the Lord forgave you, so also do ye, and above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random, and received Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-one. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel, three gates northward, the gate of Reuben, one, and the gate of Judah, one, and the gate of Levi, one the gates into the big holy city, the true holy city, right? And this next one we call Deliverance uh, for Many is Needed, uh, Claire Pinar, six ten twenty three. I dreamed I was in my home in South Africa, and I was preparing food for a young couple called Danielle and Pieter. Danielle is the feminine form of God is my judge, and Peter uh, means rock. I had my children with me and a few other women with me, but I can't remember who they were. The bride has her fruit, she says in a note here, uh, visible wherever she goes. Amen. It's uh, shining through, right? Danielle uh, was fretful, tearful, emotional, and highly charged with nervous energy. She seemed to labor terribly under these emotions. Uh, emotions need to be brought under because under your spirit, because they will rule you, they will cause you so much trouble and they will keep you from entering into what God has for you. My son said to her, You can have deliverance of these feelings. Mommy can help you. Well, amen. Deliverance is the children's bread in Matthew 15 and 26. And he answered and said, It's not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. She looked at me questioningly, and I looked her in the eyes and said, You can be delivered from these demons. It is not who you are, but you think it's normal. It's not normal now that you are in Christ. She then left to go to a city about 12 kilometers away, and we went to fetch her. We started in an armored vehicle. (laughs) Ephesians 6 and 13 says, Wherefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We then went on foot when we couldn't find her easily. And Romans 10 and 15 says, And how shall they preach except they be sent, even as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good things? She was being held hostage by dark men who had many weapons. Yes, we know about that. Uh, That's the wicked, who uh, are demon-possessed and work so hard for Satan to keep people from the true gospel. Mm -hmm. However, when I looked around me, I saw we had uh, blonde men with better weapons. Well, these represent those that are submitted to the Son S-U-N slash S-O-N, who have authority over all the power of the enemy. These are the Lord's army. Amen. We started marching in a straight line, singing. Well, we know there's victory in unity and praise. Amen. This reminded me of uh, children in a nursery school chanting songs while playing. And then the blonde men made us invisible, and they seemed to fight for us. Well, we have used this invisibility before, claiming it and seeing God do it. And the battles are won through praise. So, thank you, Father. The enemy were pretty disorganized, probably because of the praising God. You know, that really does bind up the enemy, we know, Psalm 149. We found Danielle and took her back home, and she was ready for deliverance then. Yeah, after being taken captive, yes, we know some people like that, that are going to get their freedom from the deep state in our neck of the woods, and that is that bunch of Satanists. Okay, Luke 19 and 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. In Matthew eighteen ten through 14 See, ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that their angels in heavens see at all times the face of my Father who is in the heavens. How think ye, if any man come to have a hundred sheep, and one of them go astray, will he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountains, and go and seek that which goeth astray? And if he come uh, to find it, amen, I say unto you, that he rejoiceth over it more than over the ninety and nine which have not gone astray. Thus it is not a thing willed before my Father who is in the heavens, that one of these little ones perish. And that's a N-E-N-T version. Thank you, Lord. I asked the Lord for a word and received Psalm 94 by faith at random. Uh, here's some verses that kind of jumped out at me, she said, regarding the dream. Verse 1, O Lord, thou God to whom vengeance belongeth, thou God to whom vengeance belongeth, shine forth. Yes, take care of them enemies that are keeping God's people in captivity, and using them, and abusing them. In verse 7, And they say, The Lord will not see, neither will the God of Jacob consider. And mm-hmm. 11 through 14, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are of vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest out of thy law that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. And let's go to 19. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Amen. This brings to remembrance 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And, of course, that is how we win the war against the enemy, right? And we need to cast down every thought of fear over deliverance when it is offered, lest we are kidnapped by the evil. And then it's an all-out war to bring us back from behind enemy lines. Yes, we know that. That's exactly what's happened here before. Um, You offer them deliverance, and they don't really confess their sins or don't really repent. And then, boom, they get taken out Mm -hmm. and behind enemy lines and get abused by the Satanists. Matthew 11 and 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Yes, indeed. Okay, we call this one Stunted Christians, and it's Claire's 61023. I dreamed I drove to a woman's home. Her name is Candace, and she was having a birthday party for her 13 year old son. Well, Candace means uh, sparkling or pure, and uh, this dream is seeing those of God's elect who are still in apostasy, but By praying in faith, they'll overcome their playpen religion. I drove my old red Volkswagen Golf and parked undercover in a shopping mall and walked the rest of the way to her home. Well, we're driven by the blood and the life of Jesus, right? That red Volkswagen and I found it strange that it was a party for a 13-year-old because only very small children were there. Only very small children were there. So, um, five years and under. So, although physically old enough to be more mature, all of his friends and himself, because it was only them, the small ones, you know, uh, and fellowship are not. You know, I suggest that he is spiritually the same age, uh, spiritually. Some people look mature, but they're not. They're not mature in the Lord. It was hard to have any conversation as these children were so unruly and boisterous. Well, unruly is the same as immature. This is rebellion against the Word. Maybe in ignorance, because of immaturity, but it's still rebellion against the Word. And uh, when a Jewish boy turns 13, he's considered a responsible adult and uh, the age he would have his bar mitzvah, right? Mm -hmm. So, supposed to be mature, but it's not. Somehow, I offered to clear out Candace's attic, And I placed all of her son's old toys on tables downstairs and the parents of the small children could take the goods away with them as they left the party. So the 13-year-old is still a child because the attic represents the mind, right? The the head, the mind. Um, There was so much trash and old goods in the attic Barbie playthings, but not Barbie dolls specifically, free McDonald's toys, and generally low-quality toys. The attic represents the mind that holds on to idols. These things are immature, and as we should grow in Christ, we must get rid of any and all idols and childish or immature thinking and walk according to the mind of Christ which is the Word of God. And 1 Corinthians 13, 11 said, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I am become a man, I have put away childish things. Put away the childish things. Grow up, right? Candace was not convinced that she wanted to get rid of this stuff. Even after much talking and deliberation on her part, she said she'd, take, she'd like to hold on to it for just a short while longer. Keepsakes, right? Some parents really do not want their children to grow up. They like them like that. <laughs> but, you know, every child is in training to be a grown-up, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So, <clears throat> not wanting to give up the old man thinking, the mind of the flesh, and holding on to sin and holding on to immaturity like the Israelites who left Egypt. Zechariah 7, 11-12 says, But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should uh, hear the law, and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore there came great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I met a man there who was tall and good looking but older, say in his fifties. Ah uh, she said he represents the grace of the Jubilee year. Amen. He had a little silver goatee mustache and kind eyes. He had a five-year-old boy child called Bo. Bo means handsome, admirer, or sweetheart in some cases. Uh, He loved this boy with all of his life, and it showed, because the child was calm, sweet, well-mannered, and lovely. He looked just like Obadiah Stewart. Well, Obadiah means worshiper of God, and a steward is manager of a household, right? He told me how he'd uh, met a woman while in sin, and she changed his life. She married him and bore him this son, and she was amazing. She had flown to Germany, where he did terrible things in the past, and she made a list of how she'd fix everything for him. He was so grateful to her. The woman uh, represents wisdom, who is Christ, who will clean up our past life. Amen. It was so wonderful to hear this man's heartfelt gratitude for his new life. I then decided to leave the house and the party. And as I walked out, I ste- stepped on dog poop, and it smelled terrible. And I would say that this probably represents a stumbling, <laughs> for sure. I prayed for a way to get this poop off of my foot, and a very large uh, pool with crystal clear water appeared in front of me. This seems to be about the same thing as cleaning up your past, right? It varied in depth from my ankles to my thighs. It seemed I was wearing shorts in the dream as my clothing did not get wet. I waded through this water all the way back to my car, and I got in and drove back to my house. I would suggest that this represents the washing of the feet, or the walk with the Word of God. We have to do it. People need to spend time in the Word, to walk as He walked. If anybody says they abide in him, they're going to walk as he walked, right? At my house, the lady who had married my new 50-year-old friend was having tea with my mom. I was so pleased I was going to meet her. She was blonde and petite and just lovely. My mom asked her about her husband, and she said, Oh, he's a blessing. He thinks I prayed so hard for him. But I didn't. It was just simple prayers that I prayed. Well, you know, that's it, isn't it? I mean, God hears these prayers. He knows your intent and everything. Uh, So just simple prayers. But it goes on to say, but I know they were heard. There you go. There's a lot of people just are full of hot air. They're not doing anything because you have to know you're heard. She laughed and smiled in a humble way when she said it. And I woke up. Well, that reminds me of Matthew 6 and 7. And in praying, use not vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. No, it has to be faith, right? Mark 11 and 24. Therefore I say unto you, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, Believe that you received them, and you shall have them. Uh, Notice, this is every prayer. Do you notice? Okay. And that's the way you get your prayers heard. I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random and received Lamentations 3 and 55. With my finger on 55. 55 represents a double portion of grace. Also, uh, Lamentations, or Lamb, actually it's abbreviated, is a play on Lamb, because only the lambs hear the shepherd's voice. In context, Lamentations three fifty-five 55-56, I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the lowest dungeon, and thou heardest my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Amen. And he won't either. He won't hide. And this one we called, Don't Fall for Dirty Linen. And this is Claire also, 6 twenty three. I dreamed I was in a house where my son, Daniel, was trying to build a Lego tower. Well, our personal inner man child, where God is our judge, Daniel, right? is uh, learning to take dominion and wants to be a strong tower. You know, we're all building a tower, right? By letting the name, meaning nature, character, and authority, rule him. Because Proverbs 18 and 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Yes. We abide in the nature, character, and authority, which is what the word name means, and uh, that's a safe place. However, there was an Indian lady in the house who wanted me to wash all the bedding or linen in the house with a purple dye. Well, an Indian, of course, is a foreigner to us here, and there are a lot of people in the church that are foreigners, actually. So this represents royalty in Scripture. Um, purple, right? The royalty have been the worst of sinners through their pride and their abundance of money and their no sin is restrained from them and they just go nuts. Yeah, royalty is not a good idea. <laughs> I think the D-class is going to prove that in a very short time. Romans 12 and 3, For I say through the grace that was given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as soberly, according as God hath dealt to each man a measure of faith. Yes, that pride problem, you see. Get rid of it. I didn't want to diet. I had white bedding and linen on everything except my oldest daughter's bed the bride resting on clean, pure Word of God. Yeah, that's what that represents. On her bed was a pretty light pink cover with little flowers printed on it. If I dyed that purple, it would really be ugly. Mm -hmm. I stripped all the beds and started sorting the colors. And in my mind, in the dream, I kept on seeing dark colors that could easily Be colored purple without too much effort or damage. And her note is, Don't let the suggestions of demon spirits like condemnation attack your mind. However, the reality was that all my linen was white in the dream. Well, the reality is that you walk in faith and you are clean. And you are resting in clean promises, authority, and sanctification until the Lord convicts you. You know, pride cometh before the fall. Mm. The Indian woman then coaxed me to dye the actual pillows and inners of the uh, bedding covers. I then knew this was a ridiculous suggestion. I had two bundles of white linen and bedding and I would not be dyeing anything purple. So the bride's uh, rest is already clean. She keeps it clean with regular washing from the water of the word. Uh, John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And Judges 121. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Jude 121. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Amen. Keep yourselves in the love of God. As I made this decision, my eldest daughter came into the room throwing wooden pieces of kindling around. She especially liked throwing it in the direction of the Indian woman who was now so small I could barely see her in the dream. Well, she lost her ego, right? (laughs) It got deflated. Very good. She had great joy in doing this, and her aim was spot on every time. Throwing kindling. Well, kindling is for fires, and the cross is wood, and it's wood to die on in our fiery trials. And this is the crucified life being represented here that we grow up in. And these words are wisdom, humbled, uh, the old lady of her ego and pride, right? I opened up my Bible on Jeremiah 30 and 4 in context 4 through 10. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. And this is a crucifixion of God's people, uh, which bears fruit uh, in this text. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, in pain, right? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. In trouble people turn to the Lord. But he shall be saved out of it, and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more make him their bondman. That's kind of like going back to Egypt. The Lord told them, don't go back to Egypt ever, because that's where they were in bondage to the old man of the land, right? But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. So here comes David, the man-child ministry, and uh, they've gone through this trouble, and now they're ready to submit. So David their king, whom I will raise up unto them, therefore fear thou not, O Jacob my servant, says the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be quiet and at ease, and none shall make him afraid. O praise be to God. And we call this one, Praise God Up the Mountain, Tiana Fire 61123. I dreamed that there was this giant mountain, but the entire area of the ground was sand. And it was windy, and there was nothing on this mountain but sand, and all was above was, was the sky. And I believe this is Representative of Mount Zion, the bride and the sand represents the seed of Abraham, who are going up the mountain to the heavenly places in Christ, where the throne of God is, by the way. The temple and the throne of God is there. There were many brethren on all different parts of the mountain and different levels and areas. Every person on this mountain was continuously praising and worshiping God in singing and praise and thanksgiving. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Each one works out their own salvation, praising God through trials and tribulations as they progress up the mountain. That's right. Philippians uh, 2, 12-13 says, So then, my brethren, even as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. So, now this is neat. Listen to this. If someone stopped praising God they would start walking backwards down the mountain. Hmm. Some were praying to God only, but were staying in the same spot. Well, you might can hold your own just praying, but victory comes when you start praising because that binds all of your enemies. Right? When we begin to focus on ourselves or listen to the lies of Satan, like disappointment or discouragement and so on, and stop praising and thanking God for what we prayed, uh, we start to backslide and not progress forward. Well, I can tell you, that's a fact. In fact, the mighty angels came and told us that and made a really good point out of it. Others were praising God more and more and with more of their heart, and they would keep walking up the mountain more and more. Amen. So just remember that. Don't forget it. Psalm 149. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Sing unto the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of the saints, that Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. The Lord loves that. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints exult in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. And here we see that this praise binds the demons and uh, their leading vessels who tried to hinder our walk up the mountain. Verse 7, To execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples. So this is what praise does. Vengeance upon the nations, punishment upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains, and their nobles with fetters of iron. Of course, this can be spiritual kings and nobles too, right? To execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all of his saints. So, praise ye the Lord. Yeah, you going through fiery trials. Well, praise the Lord right on through it. Keep walking up the mountain. Psalm 96, 1 through 4. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. That's a repentant heart, right? And, of course, praising the Lord. He is nigh, right? Continue to praise the Lord. Even though what you're going through hard things, just keep on praising. Psalm 119 and 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, that seek him with the whole heart. And Psalm 145 and 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. The sound on the mountain was so beautiful with singing and praise, and it resembled a choir. On different parts of the mountain, the wind would blow so strongly that it could blow someone over. However, if the people kept praising with more of their soul, they became strong and could keep moving, and the wind could not move them. There you go. Strength comes through praise. In Matthew seven twenty four through 27, Everyone therefore that heareth these words of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And every one that heareth these words of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand." And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and smote upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. So take notice, you do not want to fall, right? Keep on praising God. Obey what the Lord tells you. And the NENT is this, 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of a spiritual rock. That followed them. Now the rock was the Christ. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Drink from the rock. Psalm 21 and 7. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And the NENT in Hebrews 12 and 28. Wherefore, receiving an unshakable kingdom, Let us have grace, whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with godly fear and awe. On another part of the mountain, the wind would make people's skin and lips so dry. If they complained, they would go backwards. Complaining and whining is not what the Lord wants to hear. He wants to hear faith in the midst of the trial, right? But if they kept praising, they would go forward. Hmm, Job 2 and 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. There it is. (laughs) On another part of the mountain, the people would get cold and experience other types of trials. But by ignoring all this and continuing to keep their mind, soul, and body and mouth on Christ, they would go forward and get through this area. The further people got up the mountain, the bigger the trials would be. But it became easier as each one would praise God with all of their hearts, minds, and with their mouths. Amen. So they were overcoming with steadfastness in the truth of the Word and with praise and thanksgiving to God. Philippians 3 and 12 says, Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on, if so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Notice his purpose for you is for you to press on and lay hold of what he has given you and 13 brethren i count not myself yet to have laid hold but one thing i do forgetting the things which are behind this is a major tripper here right he tells you forget the things which are behind stretching forward to the things which are before i press on towards the goal unto the prize of the high calling of god in christ jesus you start thinking about your past you the devil catch you up in condemnation and you won't have any faith and you won't make any progress, right? Philippians 4, 6 through 9. In nothing be anxious. Well, that must mean he's in control of everything. In nothing be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. There you go. You're receiving what you you pray for, right? Let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your heart and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Yes, you must guard your thoughts. The devil can carry you away with your emotions if you don't do what he said. So, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, here it is, good advice. Whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Think on these good things. Don't think on the bad stuff. Did you pray about the bad stuff? Well, okay, believe you have received right? Don't look behind you, look forward, right? As I was about halfway up the mountain, somehow I got a large deep cut on my right leg and there was much blood and it was very painful. I then tripped and fell five yards backwards and landed on my bottom. A man named Jaron held out his arm and picked me back up. Jaron means cry of rejoicing, or a shout of song. Praise the Lord. Jaron had a giant loving smile, and because he helped me back up, he encouraged me to keep praising God and continue walking up the mountain. Amen. I ignored the pain and started praising and thanking God, and I kept moving forward. I then noticed, not long after that, The wound was completely healed. Praise God. So healing can come through praising. Amen. God honors your praise. 1 Peter 1, 6-9 Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been put to grief in manifold trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold that perisheth though it is proved by fire, may be found unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the proof of your faith. In your in the midst of the trial, you need a proof of your faith. And praising and thanking God is a proof of your faith. Verse 8. Whom, not having seen, you love, and on whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice greatly with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. James 1, 2-4 Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold temptations knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience. You need to be patient in your faith. Some people have faith today and it's gone tomorrow. Well, that's not what you got to endure to the end in your faith, as Jesus said, right? And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Wow. Look what patience in your faith will bring, right? So this is Tiana fire two six ten twenty three judgment brings revivals and attacks hmm I dreamed that I was sitting in a restaurant with other brethren The restaurant was in the middle of ocean water and you had to walk on a boardwalk to get there I've seen some like that a little further out on either side of the restaurant was the beach representing. Feasting on the Word in the presence of the Lord. And the beach also represents those sands which are the seed of Abraham, right? The brethren and I were sitting on the large deck outside that overlooked the view of open water. We were watching all the waves coming in. Probably representing tribulations coming from the wicked. The wicked are represented in the book of Revelation as... Um, waters, right? Many waters. And then suddenly we all started to see many different fish in each wave. Hmm. So if you go through tribulations, that's when you start seeing these fish, right? We all started to see many different fish in each wave. The brothers got out their fishing rods to go catch the fish. Sounds very spiritual. They were so easy to catch because there were so many of them, and they could clearly see where the fish were. Ah, She says, the fish represent people being drawn into the truth of the word because of tribulation and need. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is true. The waves represent tribulations and periods of judgment that come upon the world. And each of these has a purpose, to bring more people into the kingdom of God through the fear of the Lord, repentance, and revival. Isaiah 26, 8-10 says, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. To thy name, even to thy memorial name, is the desire of our soul. Judgment brought them to this, right? With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee earnestly. Listen. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. But let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. You want um, a thousand years of peace? Guess what you're going to have if you do that. God knows better than that. He knows that will not bring revival. and will not bring people to God. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness in the land of uprightness? Will he deal wrongfully and will not behold the majesty of the Lord? Then suddenly a tin boat came from the left. That might be a bateau over here where we are. (laughs) Came from the left of the restaurant. Yes, these are leftists. And there were three men in it looking like hillbillies. And they had spear guns. They started shooting at us on the deck, but they kept missing. The hillbillies, I believe, represent the factious who shoot at the righteous with witchcraft, curses, and slander. Psalm 11 and 2 says, For lo, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. Yes, they do. That's all they've got to do. They don't do the gospel. They don't help anybody. They just curse people. The spear guns were giant but very slow, so they could only hit those that were standing in the wrong place or not moving around and at the wrong time. Well, so we don't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That doesn't sound like you're abiding in Christ, right? So this would be anyone in willful sin not abiding in Christ, not walking by faith, not using the armor of God, not casting down the factious thoughts and accusations against others, or not forgiving. And, of course, they could get hit. As the men were shooting, the waves started to get much bigger and rougher, and it looked like they would hit the restaurant. Hmm. The restaurant represents those who are feeding the people the word. And uh, the factious uh, don't feed the word. The, the waves against those doing the work of the kingdom are the faction and their slander and witchcraft. Their father hates the word and um, those who live it. And the overcomers have nothing to worry about, for they will grow through this trial, this test, right? The inside of the restaurant was very crowded, so we didn't go back there to leave in case we couldn't get out, because some some in there started freaking out because of the waves. Yep, some people do freak out when they get in tribulations and troubles, and when the that just begin to throw their garbage at them. And this is all a test, a trial, a boot camp, if you will. <laughs> uh, and of course, the enemy is seeking to wear out the saints through these things. The judgments come in ways that are progressively worse. And this is our boot camp, our training. But the bride is strengthening and matured as she overcomes each of them. And they get worse because you can overcome more. Every time you overcome, you build on that, you can overcome more. And the, the great thing is, we want to overcome it all. Some of the brethren jumped off the deck and into the ocean with me, while others stayed on the deck. And one of the brothers who jumped into the water with me was named Ty. T-Y-E, which means pasture, and it's also a play on words as we are tied to Christ. Amen. Ty was very tall and had blonde hair and large muscles. Well, Ty represents being submitted to the sun, S-U-N, slash S-O-N, as a type and a shadow. And the large muscles talk about strength, right? And, uh, of course, the son, Jesus, uh, and having faith in Jesus makes us powerful. Because he was so tall and strong, we knew he was a good swimmer. So another girl and I held on to his shoulders so that he could swim us back to the shore. Well, we know that individual gifts are given to the body for strength in different tribulations. That's why you need to be a part of the body, right? And the cooperation of these will save in every circumstance. When we were almost around the corner of the restaurant, a spear hit his calf. And there was a lot of blood, but he reacted like he never even felt it. Well, the factious attack our walk and try to cause us to stumble, but we should ignore them and hold fast the confession of our hope that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised and praise God with all your heart. I pulled out the spear and I knew as soon as we got back to shore that he would be completely healed from the wound. So, don't be dismayed by the attacks. Press on. Yes, keep on going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Isaiah 54 and 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness which is of me, saith the Lord. We got back safely and other brethren were able to swim safely to shore. However, I am unsure about what happened to the ones who didn't jump in the water and who stayed on the deck. Well, now here's a, a pretty neat one. It's We called it Template Placement in Christ. You know what a template is, right? It holds things in the right position, right? This is Samuel Fire 6.4.23. I saw an intricate and very precise template. The template, of course, is a pattern of Christ in His corporate body. It was my entire field of view as far as the sky stretched. In the dream, it was a dark night, and then I saw this template placed from above the earth. There was a very high number of tiny holes all over the template, and they all aligned over each person, but only these people were seen through these holes from above. In other words, it was coming down on these people to hold them in a position in the template. So it's designed so that every elect person will be in their place and work in the body. Right. I could see hands operating this, but not see whose hands. And I knew in my spirit instantly it was our Father, Almighty God's hands. Amen. Ephesians 1 and 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love having foreordained us unto the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Amen. The people were in various places in different types of lives, and all were His close chosen elect children. I felt that our Father was admiring His handiwork. And although I didn't see him, it was as though I was watching from his point of view. Then it was as though every one of these chosen ones were then raised to a peak and kept in a glowing golden light with a shield like a bubble wrapping around them. So everyone is safe in their ordained position. Don't get out of your position. Stay where you're called to be. Around them in the peak were various people like families and friends that each of these people had in their lives. They were brought in close to these selected ones, but not as close to the template. I felt that uh, was because they had a love for the Lord, but didn't live the life completely. The template the Lord is looking for is Jesus. And those that become like Christ will have faith for their families to be saved too. And they will find their place in the body of Christ. It was as if all the special and elect were now on a task that had many responsibilities and duties. I saw that the Father breathed on all of them like a gentle whisper through the template holes. The ones through the template Holes all agreed, as though each of them heard audibly and had worship of Him on their faces. I then felt a whisper to have my life in order. Uh, Lived not for myself, but for others, from Father's viewpoint. I was giving all to fulfill my role. I then asked for a verse afterwards and landed on gold, Psalm 119, 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. Gold represents manifesting our place and our work in Christ by following his template plan. Amen. God, you're so awesome. We thank you for this wonderful revelation and uh, encouragement. And we love you and we ask you to put us all in our position and in our place, Lord, where we can be best suited to do what we need to do. It comes to us naturally in that place. Thank you, Lord, for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you, saints. And also, Michael's coming, and he's going to share, too. Father, let your blessings be upon Michael and all the brethren. In Jesus' name, pour out your spirit there. Amen
2: well thank you brother david and god bless you hello saints it is so good to be back with you again let's go to the father father i just praise you and i glorify you for the promises that you've given us in your word i thank you lord for allowing us to become part of your kingdom that we are begotten of you and i thank you father for anointing us today to get this wonderful message out today and i thank you for it father In Jesus' name. Well, I want to talk about begotten of God. And we'll start out with uh, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is begotten of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The new creation is begotten of God. Righteousness is begotten of God. Love is begotten of God. Faith is begotten of God. And these are the overcomers of the world. It says, who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that. That means you are a victor. Because the believers are winners. Now we need to leave the low ground of doubt and fear and come out onto the high ground and walk in fellowship with Him. healing and victory are ours. Leave that failure to the failures. We're walking with the power of God, fighting with the weapons of righteousness, both for attack and for defense. It says, no, in all our fight, we are more than conquerors. Why is that? Because we're raised together with Christ. When Jesus arose from the dead, it was our victory over the enemy. Colossians 2 and 15 says, having dispoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, which he fought against it, triumphing over them in it. He beat them. He whooped them, as we used to say. You remember that we were crucified with him, died with him, were buried with him, suffered with him, were justified with him, made alive with him. Then we met the enemy and we conquered him in Christ. And so Paul can say to us, wherein also you were made partakers of his righteousness through your faith in God who raised him from the dead. And God raised Christ so that we might share in his life. We were made partakers in Christ's resurrection victory, Christ's resurrection life, in Christ's resurrection new creation. John chapter 1 and verse 16, Of his fullness have all we received. Then Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the foundation for faith. It's the living word of God. And what God says is, what man says may be, but what God says is, never, may be. It's always made good. It's When he says it, it's done. God's word is a part of himself, just as your word is a part of you. What you say reveals the real you, right? People come to trust in you, in your voice. Your voice and your words are you. And Jesus was God's voice. What Jesus said, the Father said. Jesus was the Logos. He was the Word of God. And when you read what Jesus said, or you hear it read, you are hearing God. You are hearing the living Word. Because God is back of what he's spoken. The throne of God is back of what he has spoken. God's character and Jesus' character are involved in what the Father or Jesus has already spoken. So when he says in Isaiah 53 and verse 4, Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We know that our diseases were laid on him, right? And when he climaxes that statement with, with his stripes we are healed, we know that we're healed. Folks, it's a problem of the integrity of the word. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, that solves the sin problem. Hebrews 9, verse 26. But now, once at the end of the ages, hath he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The sin problem is a settled problem because God said it was settled. Disease and sickness problems are settled because God said that he had already settled them. He bore the diseases. God said, by his stripes you were healed. So that's the end of the discussion. He said the issue was closed. The diseases have been put away, so sickness and disease shall not lord it over you. That he said in Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. Don't you know that disease has no standing with this new creation that we're in? That is his declaration. That statement is a part of himself. He says that you are a new creation. He says that you are his son born from above. John 3 verse 6 says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that's a statement of fact. Sin and disease are one. They cannot dominate the new creation because you're not only his son, but you are a joint heir with Jesus You are a joint fellowshipper in all that Christ did and is. Now listen to this. This shows you how near you are to him. In John 15 and 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. God is a part of what he said. In Christ, you are what he says you are. You are a new creation, created in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's to the new creation. And what God says is, and if you are a new creation, then there's no condemnation for you. And if there's no condemnation, disease can't lord it over you. And if you have committed sins and you confess them, First John five and nine says He is faithful and righteous to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says you are forgiven. And what God says is. And you don't need to make this yours. Sure. It was written for you. Just act on it, glory to God. It's like God. It is a part of God. If He says He has forgiven you, He has forgiven you. What he has forgiven, folks, he forgets. It is as though it had never been. There's no memory of it. You stand as free as Jesus is in the Father's presence. And our faulty vision, which is caused by sense knowledge, has made us see us through a, a, a glass darkly. The word's been obscured. We have not been able to catch God's dream of the reality of it. And the reality of it has never dawned upon the church. They've never realized it. They were free from the dominion of Satan. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 said, Who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us <clears throat> into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We're delivered. Out of the authority of Satan. And we are translated. Into the kingdom of the son of his love. We are in the kingdom folks. We're members of the kingdom. We are heirs of God. And joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And Satan's dominion is ended. We're free. Absolutely delivered. The chains have been broken. Glory to God. Because what God says. Is we are redeemed. And not only do we have a perfect redemption, but we have a perfect remission of our sin. Now, remission has to do with what we did before we were born again. Forgiveness has to do with what we do after we are born again. And remission is the wiping out of everything connected with your old life. There ain't no hangovers in the divine life, folks. You are absolutely a new creation. There's no sin scars upon you. You are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. You are complete in him. And what God has made righteous is righteous. And what God has declared righteous, folks, is righteous. And what Jesus made righteous in his substitutionary sacrifice is just what God says it is. It's a completed, perfect thing in his sight. When the believer in the quietness of his own spirit recognizes the complete integrity of the word of God, disease and sickness and failure, folks, they're things of the past. 1 John 4 and 4 says, you are of God, my little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, glory to God. The power and ability of God himself is in you right now. You stand a victor in every battle that you come into. And you don't have to make any apologies for weakness. God is the strength of your life. Because what God says is, and there ain't no supposition about it. It is an absolute present tense reality. And if he says you're more than a copper, you are. And it don't make any difference how mighty the force against you might be. It don't make any difference what sense knowledge has told you. You cast down those reasonings and give the word of God its place, okay? You act as though there were not an enemy in the world. When he says Philippian, in Philippians 4 19, My God shall supply every need of yours, you're not afraid to do anything he tells you to do. Because the money going to be there to meet every obligation. God can't lie. His word is a part of himself. He and his word are one. And he watches over his word to perform it. And he is completely jealous over his word. He watches over it with the utmost care. And all you need to do is to call his attention to what he has promised. And he'll make the promise good. God's word has the ability in it to make good anything he has promised. And the word of God is a living thing. It produces in the heart of man the very thing. He promises He would do. We preach it and teach it because it is the living Word today. God says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, whosoever believes in Him shall not be put to shame. You know, the Word is lifeless until faith is breathed into it on our own lips. Then it becomes that supernatural force. You might have The entire chapters of the word committed to memory, but they lie dead in your life. But as you act on the word, it becomes a living thing. Then as you witness, make your confession of that word, it becomes a dominating force in your lips. Jesus' word was the Father's, but he spoke it, he lived it, and he acted it. That's what made it a living thing. He said in John 14 and 10, The words that I say unto you, I speak not for myself, but the Father abiding in me. Then John six sixty three. The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. We take Jesus' word and then we act upon them. That makes us what lives. That's the living part of it right there. It's when we act on them. Now, why I lost my healing? This is, this is something for you to think about. This is somebody who said, I felt perfectly well for several days after you prayed for me. Then all the symptoms came back. And I've been in hell ever since. Can you tell me what's the difficulty? Well, it's real simple. You received your healing through another's faith. And the adversary took advantage of your lack of faith and brought back the symptom, camouflaged the entire thing, and then you were filled with fear instead of faith. Instead of rising completely and meeting the adversary with the word and commanding his power, broken in Jesus' name, you yielded to what you felt. Well, why did you yield? Because you had no foundation in your life. You were like the man who built his, hand, his house upon the sand, and the storm came and destroyed him. So the thing for you to do is to get to know the Lord yourself through the word. When you know that by his stripes you are healed, and you know it as you know that two and two are four, the enemy will have no power over you. When you know the power and authority of the name of Jesus and that you have a legal right to use it, and when that enemy comes against you, you're not going to be filled with fear. You're just going to laugh at him and you'll say, Satan, don't you know you were whip at the cross, leave my body now, and guess what? He has to leave. No one can maintain his healing, which has come as a result of another's faith, unless his faith is developed through the Word, so he can maintain his own rights in the redemption of Christ. And you got to know that God's method of healing is spiritual. It's not mental as Christian science and unity and other metaphysical teachers claim. And it's not physical as the medical world teaches either. When God heals, he heals through the spirit. When man heals, he has to either do it through the mind that is governed by the physical senses, or he does it through the physical body with drugs. But you understand that man is a spirit being, And that life's greatest forces are spiritual. And we can understand that the great forces in life are spiritual forces. Love and hate, fear and faith, joy and grief are all of the spirit. And it's a remarkable thing that when Jesus comes on the scene as a healer, he demands by faith. He declares in Matthew 9.22, thy faith hath made thee whole. In Mark 9 23, all things are possible to him that believes. We might multiply these statements. All of them prove one thing. One thing that all of Jesus' healings were spiritual. He demanded faith, and faith is born of the Spirit. Listen, in my own ministry, where we have seen multitudes of people healed of many kinds of incurable diseases, they have been healed invariably by the word of God Psalms 107 and 20 says he sent his word and healed them sin had brought the disease upon him but the word delivered them. the word is the healer today man gets his healing by acting upon the word and that action is called faith and we know that healing belongs to the believer now we do a lot of us have right and then we have wrong confessions Hebrews 4 and 14 says, Having then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And in the third chapters of Hebrews, the Christianity is called the great confession. Well, what confession am I to hold fast to? Well, I am to hold fast to my confession of the absolute integrity of the Word of God. And I am to hold fast to the confession of the redemptive work of Christ. I am to hold fast to my confession of the new creation of receiving the life and nature of God. And I'm also to hold fast to the confession that God is the strength of my life. And I'm to hold fast to the confession that surely he hath borne my sicknesses and carried my diseases and that by his stripes I am healed. And some of you may find it very difficult to hold fast to the confession of perfect healing when there's pain in your body. Don't make two confessions, like confessing the absolute truthfulness of the Word of God, and then at the same time, make a confession that you're not healed yet. And if somebody asks you, do you believe that by his stripes you are healed? And you said, yes, sir, I do. But in the next breath said, but the pain is still there. That second confession nullified the first. In reality, two confessions were made. First, a confession of perfect healing and redemption in Christ. And the second, that the redemption and healing was not a fact. Then comes the great battle to gain the mastery over confession. Until we learn to have but one confession. If I confess that my God shall supply every need of mine, I don't need to nullify it. That confession by saying, "Yep, yeah, God supplies my needs, but I can't pay my rent. I can't pay the telephone bill. Faith holds fast to the confession of the word. Sense knowledge holds fast to the confession of physical evidences. If I accept physical evidence over and against the word of God, <clears throat> I nullify the word as far as I'm concerned. But I hold fast To my confession that God's word is true, that by his stripes I am healed, that my God does supply my every need. And I hold fast to that confession in the face of apparent contradictions, and he's bound to make good. A lot of believers have failed when things become difficult because they lost their confession. And while the sun was shining brightly, their confessions were vigorous and they were strong and they were clear. But when the storm came, the testings came, and the adversary was taking advantage of them, and they gave up their testimony. Every time that you confess disease and weakness and failure, you magnify the adversary above the father, and you destroy your own confidence in the word of God. You are to hold fast to your confession in the face of apparent defeat. You are to study the word until you know what your rights are. And then hold fast to them. Some make confessions without any foundation. Then the adversary whips and beats them up. You should find out what your right saw. For instance, you know that he says this. Surely he had borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Now you can make your confession. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Then you can make your confession. 1 John four four says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You can make a confession right there. Stand by your confession. Makes no difference what's going on. Stand by your confession through thick and thin, through good report and evil. You know that your confession is according to the word of God. Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. You know, Jesus' ministry at the right hand of the Father is one of the rarest features of Paul's revelation. Hebrews is a part of that revelation. No one else could have given it as, 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 uh, as Paul did as he gave it to us. It is a revelation of what Jesus did from the time he was made sin on the cross until he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That entire work is given to us in this wonderful unveiling. Not only did he make us know what Christ did for us in his substitution, but he has made us know what the Holy Spirit, through the word, on the ground of the substitutionary work of Christ, does in the individual life. There's really four phases of this revelation. First is this, what Christ did for us. Second is what the Holy Spirit through the word does in us. And third is what Jesus is doing now at the right hand of the Father for us. And fourth, what his love does through us in ministry. We spend a whole lot of time studying what Christ has done for us, but very little time has been given to what he does in us and less has been given to what he's now doing in his great high priestly office at the right hand of the Father. His entire ministry for us would have been a total failure had he not carried on a ministry now at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. Jesus died as the Lamb. He arose as the Lord High Priest. His first ministry after he he rose up from the dead is illustrated in John chapter 20 and verses 15 through 18. That's where Jesus met Mary after his resurrection. And she fell down at his feet. And no wonder John 20 and 17 Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascending unto the Father, but go into my brother and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Well, what did he be? He died as the substitute lamb. He arose as the Lord High Priest. Hebrews 2 and 17 says, Wherefore it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. How many of you know he's a merciful and faithful high priest? Not in things pertaining to man, but in things pertaining to God. The claims of justice had to be satisfied as the needs of man met. It was necessary that as the high priest, he should make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that's recorded in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. But Christ, having become a high priest of the good things to come, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, nor yet with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, entered in once for all, Into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption, Christ having come, well, where did he come from? He had to carry his blood into the heavenly holy of holies and seal the document of our redemption with it. His blood is the guarantor now of the integrity of our redemption. And just as a high priest, under the first covenant, carried the blood into the Holy of Holies once a year and made a yearly atonement, Jesus carried his own blood in and made an eternal redemption once for all. Atonement simply meant to cover the sin of Israel while the sins were borne away by the scapegoat. The sin nature in man that had caused him to break the law Not the act, but the cause of the act, was antagonistic against God and had to be covered. Now Jesus came and put that nature away by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26 says, But now once at the end of the ages hath he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It wasn't the sins that man had committed. It was man's sin nature. That had to be put away. That sin nature was spiritual death. The nature of Satan. His sins were small things that could be wiped out. But that sin nature required God's own beloved son to become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin that we might become righteous. He took our spiritual death. That we might have eternal life. He took our banishment, our outlawed nature, that we might take the place of of sons with the Father. Oh, the unmeasured grace of God unveiled in the sacrifice of Jesus. He carried his own blood into the heavenly holy of holies. And instead of making the yearly atonement, he gave us an eternal redemption. Hebrews 2 and verse 17 says, Wherefore it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. And God had to be satisfied. The claims of justice had to be met. He was made sin and was under condemnation, and for three days and three nights he was in hell, locked up in the prison house of death. And the Supreme Court was able to absolutely justify him as our substitute, and declare him completely righteous. He met the demands of justice, and was liberated. God said of him, he said, This day I have begotten thee. And what day was it? He was begotten. It was the third day down in the prison house of death that he was born again of the Spirit. That was his new birth. That was when we were recreated, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. He was there justified in spirit. But not only was he declared righteous, but he was made righteous with the very nature of God. Now, having been made righteous, having conquered Satan, stripped him of his authority, he arose from the dead, and the Supreme Court of the universe absolutely puts the stamp of approval on his work for us. Then he was able to go into the heavenly Holy of Holies and sit down at the right hand of the majesty of high. He's already made propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation Propitiation means substitution. He has made substitution for the sins of the people. Having himself suffered, being tempted, he is able to help those that are tempted. Hebrews 3 and 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Christianity is called a confession. The finished work of Jesus Christ is called a confession. Now you can understand what Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 say, because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, Christianity, folks, is a confession. It is a confession of the finished work of Jesus. It is a confession that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, having perfectly redeemed us, and it is a confession of our sonship, of our place in Christ, of our rights and privileges. It is a confession of our supremacy over disease and sweetness, over Satan, in the name of Jesus. And what a confession that is. Glory to God. Hebrews 14, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 carries us a little step further in the development of this high priestly ministry of Jesus. Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. The entire ministry of Jesus swings about this high priestly office. And as a high priest, he carries his blood into the Holy of Holies. As a high priest, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the mediatorial high priest between God and man, and no man can reach the Father but through him. John 14 and 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and in none other is there salvation for neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men whereby we must be saved. Folks, Jesus is the only way into the Father's presence without condemnation. And is it any wonder that the early church was called the way? Acts chapter 9 and verse 2 says, And ask of him letters to Damascus unto the synagogue, that if he found any that were of the way, Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts 19 and 9. But when some were hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Acts 19, 23. And about the time there arose no small stir concerning the way. He is not only the Lord High Priest, the mediator. But the moment a man accepts Christ, he becomes his high priestly intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for the believer. Isaiah 53, 12, Romans 8, 34, and Hebrews 7, He is set forth as the intercessor for the believer. And he always lives to make intercession. What a ministry and what a service that he does for us. And he doesn't have a chance to take a vacation. He has no opportunity to step aside for a moment. Nobody else can act as high priest, as mediator, as intercessor. And he has another important ministry. He is the advocate. And when the believer is tempted and Satan gains a mastery over him, and he cries out in agony for mercy, we hear him whispering, in 1 John 1 and 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he climaxes it by saying in the next verse, in First John 2 and 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye may not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is righteous so that he can go into the Father's presence when we lose the sense of righteousness by our own And as our advocate, he restores to us our lost sense of righteousness. He is the Lord and head of the church. King David prophesied of him in Psalms 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. Folks, he is the caretaker. He's the lover, the bridegroom, bridegroom of the body. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the head of all principalities and power. He is my risen Lord seated at the Father's right hand. And if you'll follow me through the entire epistle of Hebrews, you'll find a continual unveiling of these different phases of his high priestly ministry. Hebrews 4.14 says, Having been a great high priest who had passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is the high priestly son. Let us hold fast our confession. Well, what's our confession? Well, that's our redemption, our recreation, our union with the Father in Christ, our victory over circumstances, our victory over demons and diseases, our independence in Christ of natural law. Praise God. This high priest, knowing that man has received an inferiority complex on account of spiritual death, says this in Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And that word boldness means freedom of speech. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. We're coming without any sense of guilt or sin as a child would come to an earthly parent. For every high priest being taken from among men has infirmities. Jesus had no infirmities. He had nothing but what he took on from us. He did not come from the seed of Levi. He was not in the priesthood by by birth. He is a priest after An order on the part of God himself. Hebrews 7.21 says, The Lord swear and will not repent himself. Thou art a priest forever. By so much also has Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. He is a high priest. He is the surety of this new covenant. And the new covenant heads up in him. He was the sacrifice of the covenant. His blood was the blood of the covenant. His life was the life of the covenant. And now he is the surety of it. And every scripture from Matthew to Revelation is backed up by the Lord Jesus himself. His very throne is back of every word. And just as God became the surety of the Abrahamic covenant, Jesus now becomes the surety of this new covenant. And you know he can be because he abides forever. He has his priesthood unchangeable. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.26 For such a high priest became us, now, I think that there's no sweeter expression in this entire revelation than this holy, guileless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So consider him in all his grace and beauty and his overflowing love, and it is such a high priest becomes us. We are new creations. We are in the Beloved. We are the sweetest, most beautiful things that the Father has. We're members of his own body. This, Christ says in the 27th verse of Hebrews 7, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He was made sin for us. He made one sacrifice for sin forever and then he sat down at the right hand Of the majesty on high. Do you realize what it means when he says he sat down? It means that your redemption is a completed thing. You're healed. You're as well as Jesus in the mind of the Father. You are an absolute overcomer. Poverty, want, need, those are things of the past. That we might have, that we might receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. My God shall supply every need of yours. You know that your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Jesus demonstrated this when he walked on earth. He fed the multitudes. He gave the disciples that great big net of fish. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick and he met every need of man. That's my Lord. He is the mediator of this new covenant. And he stands between humanity and the Father with the pierced hands and the wounded side and the thorn scarred brow. He is the mediator. Do you think for one moment that he would turn anybody away that wants to come to the Father? I suggest to you, never would he do that. Every unsaved man has a legal right to eternal life. Jesus takes his part, vouches for him. The moment he says, God, I will take your son as my savior and confess him as my Lord. Jesus' high priestly ministry meets every need of the believer. From the moment he is born again until he is ushered into the presence of the Father at the end of life. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. Well, why is that? Well, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write that your joy may be full. There it is. Now, what's that fellowship? It's that sweet communion between your spirit and the Father. It is that joyful, sweet richness that comes through the unveiling of the word to your spirit. And it's the quiet assurance that fills your heart with an unspeakable and unquenchable joy. You know, faith cannot grow without rich fellowship with the Father. Now, I don't care how much knowledge one has of the Word. If his fellowship is broken, his faith is crippled. And the adversary takes advantage of him and holds him in bondage. Most people who have chronic physical trouble have an unsatisfactory fellowship with the Father and with the Word. They develop an irritable spirit and they begin to challenge the faithfulness and the love of the Father. Well, if God loves me, why has he afflicted me like this, they might say. Well, you understand that the Father hasn't afflicted them. It's the adversary has afflicted them, and they have submitted to the adversary's affliction and have lived in misery and bondage. If they had known what held them, they would turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. And this is the message which we have heard from him and announce unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. Now notice, if we say we have fellowship and don't know his will, well, it's, it's real evident that we are in darkness. First John 2 and 10 says, he that loves his brother abides in the light there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and knows not whether he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. That darkness may come from a hundred reasons. You might have failed in speaking to men and women about their souls. And it can come from a million different sources. Fellowship can be broken because I willfully fail to do his will, to act on what the word of God said. And I step out of light into darkness. I stop practicing love. And when I do that, I step over into darkness. Went into Satan's territory. And I am filled with restlessness. Joy is gone. My fellowship with the Father is gone. And if I say that I have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, I lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and with the Father. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. When we break fellowship with the Father by refusing to do his will and step out of love, we walk in darkness. That minute the Bible stopped being a living message to us. No one ever criticizes another believer as long as he's walking in fellowship. All bitterness and criticism and unkindness is the product of broken fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. But if we walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with one another. We have no knowledge of his will. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's effective as long as we're in fellowship with him. And the correct meaning of the word sin is missing the mark. As long as I am in fellowship with him, I may miss the mark again and again, but his blood avails for me. Then I deliberately refuse to do his will, and then darkness overwhelms me. And if I deny that I've sinned, I'll deceive myself, and that reality is not in me. The truth is not in me, and there's no sense of reality. The word is no longer a thing of comfort and inspiration. But he does say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, if we say we have not sinned and yet are out of fellowship, We don't have the reality of life in us. But if we confess our sins, it says he is just and righteous to wipe out all our sins or the things that stood in the way. Now let's go to the next verse. My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, we may have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I think that that is one of the most wonderful statements in the whole of, of Paul's epistles. Seated at the Father's right hand is a righteous advocate. And the minute that I break fellowship, he's there in fellowship with the Father. I lose my sense of righteousness. He is the righteous one. He is there in the presence of the Father to plead my case. And I look up to the Father and I say, Father, forgive me for doing that thing. And you know what? The moment I do, he forgives me. And it's wiped out as though it had never been. The instance that I confess it and tell the Father of it, Jesus says, lay that to my account, Father. And I want you to notice that the Father has no memory of your past mistakes and failures. And you have to forget them too. Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Romans 8, and 39, is going to help our hearts just now. This is the climax of his great redemption teaching, Romans 8, and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He mentions everything that can come to a man or a woman. Every calamity that can possibly come in our earth walk, And tells us that none can separate us from the love of our Father. And in the 35th verse we read this in verse 30, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate it from the love of Christ nor from the Father's love. Nothing can do it. And know this, and let this be the background of your faith. But well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. I
0: can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. My Lord Jesus